Um, I'm going to start today's sermon with three very simple words, and those words are, I love life. I just do. Um, my wife sometimes uh, makes fun of me because she always thinks I look always on the, on the bright side of things too much, but I literally love life. I mean, there's so many cool things out there to do and see and experience, and God's given us that gift, and I think we should take advantage of every opportunity that we have. And uh, yeah, sometimes life's crappy. Sometimes it kicks you in the teeth, but ultimately, um, my blessings out, far outweigh the tough times in my life. Quite some time ago, I'm going to say years ago, which is kind of crazy, I gave a, uh, a sermon up here that uh, talked about what I called Bible heroes. I kind of gave them that name. And when I say Bible heroes, what I mean is that there are certain people that come, in, come to mind when people start bringing up biblical references, people like Abraham and David and Noah and Moses, big names of the Bible, right? And I think that they felt the same way that I do. They went through some very tough times, but in the end, they felt God's grace and his mercy and realized that God was good and that life was good. And there's one other person that comes to mind when I uh, think about Bible heroes, and that person's name is Peter. So when I say the name Peter, what comes to mind? What do you think of when I say Peter? If I say Noah, you know, you guys are thinking about the ark, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea. What do you think of when I say the name Peter? What was that? He walked on water, but then something happened there, right? So it's crazy. When I think of Peter, the first thing I think of is he denied Jesus three times. It's the very first thing that comes to mind. And the next thing I think of is that, yeah, he walked on water, he took a few steps, but then he sunk in the water because he had lack of faith in Jesus, which is crazy, because if I, if I went to step out on Lake Erie and I got that first, you know, firm foothold, I'd continue to walk. I'm looking at Jesus, I think I got this, but little faith and he sinks. And then one of the other things I think of is in the garden before uh, Jesus was taken off to his crucifixion, what did Peter do? He cut off a soldier's ear. And so when I think about those three references, I really don't think that's the way Peter wanted to be remembered, right? I mean, most people want to leave a legacy behind, and he did, but unfortunately for me, and I think a lot of people, a lot of things that Peter did are on the negative side, but he did some awesome things too, and we're going to talk about that. Now, there is, there, there is one other thing that comes to mind when I hear the name Peter. He tends to be known as the keeper of the pearly gates, right? Everybody meets St. Pete at the gate, and with that... There's always a joke that goes with meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates, and I thought it appropriate. If I'm going to talk about St. Pete, I'm going to throw a joke out at you. So I was raised Catholic, so I'm allowed to say this joke. There were two young Catholic people that were on their way to get married, and they are killed fatally in a car wreck. Oh. So they get up to heaven, and they're waiting for St. Pete. He must have been a little bit busy. So... They're waiting, and finally St. Pete comes over and says, hey, welcome into heaven. Um, before we get all the paperwork and get you registered and stuff, do you have any questions? And the young couple said, uh, well, you probably know this already, but we were on our way to get married, and we were killed in this, this car wreck, and we were just wondering, can we still get married in heaven? And Peter said, I don't know, nobody's asked me before, so let me find out. So Peter takes off, and he's gone for a period of time. He's gone for like two weeks. Finally, he comes back to this young couple who's still sitting there waiting to get into heaven, a little bit red-faced, a little frustrated. And he comes back, he says, hey, I think I got some good news for you. It turns out you can get married in heaven. And I'm like, wow, that's great. But you were gone a while, and we had time to think again. 
And we were just uh, wondering, what if it doesn't work out after we get married? Can we get divorced in heaven? I say, Pete's like, come on. And they're like, well, what's the matter, Pete? What's going on? He says, you realize it took me two weeks to find a priest? You have any idea how long it's going to take me to find a lawyer? <laughs> Yay. Where's David? You in here, David? I tell you, when you tell that joke to the video camera, it doesn't come off as well. It's nice to have people respond to that. So how does a guy with such a rough legacy somehow get to be the guy that watches God's kingdom? How does he become the keeper of the pearly gates? How does he become the rock that Christ builds his church on? And it's because Peter was more than a denying lack of faith, ear-slashing person. He was a fisherman. That should clear it up, right? He was a fisherman because that occupation was so revered and so admired in his day that that just trumps everything that could have been wrong with him. Not the case. Back in the day, fishermen were considered dirty and wild and rough, uneducated, hot tempers, vulgar language. Add that to denying Christ, lacking faith, violent tendencies, and you've got a strong resume to become one of God's chosen people, apparently. It's amazing that throughout the Bible, we see God's amazing grace as he picks the most unlikely candidates to spread his message and represent him. Carpenters, uh, fishermen, shepherds, farmers, all these people were picked by God. And so Peter was this dirty, wild, rough, uneducated man with a hot temper. And despite all of this, he was chosen by Christ. And this simple fisherman's journey is found referenced throughout the entire New Testament. And despite his missteps, despite his uh, misfailures, Peter's life was impactful. It was very influential, rich with knowledge, application, and there were a ton of relevant messages in the words of Peter. And so this morning, I hope to give you all a better perspective on this complicated, imperfect, but very relevant man named Peter. There's no doubt that Peter was a sinful man, yet he became a part of Christ's inner circle. And if any of you all have an inner circle, and it's funny, we just talked about this. I've got friends here that know what it means to be in my inner circle, and unfortunately, like, it gets smaller and smaller. I'm not bragging about that. It just does. And to be inside Christ's inner circle, that's a pretty cool place to be. And the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke list Peter as the very first disciple that was called on by Jesus. Now, Matthew and Mark's accounts are almost identical. They just talk about the story about coming to the shoreline and Jesus seeing the, the fishermen and cast your nets on the other side of the boat. But Luke, as he always does, he, he paints more of a visual picture uh, in his scriptures. And he actually paints a picture of Peter and Jesus having this very sincere moment uh, at the very beginning of their, uh, of their relationship. So upon seeing the miracle of the fish, which uh, Peter did, it was a completely fruitless uh, fishing trip for them, Peter realizes his sinful state and gives glory to God by falling to his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And yet Jesus looked at Peter with all of his sin and all of his missteps and he says, don't be afraid because from now on you will fish for people. And after Jesus spoke, Peter and the other three dropped everything including their very identities as fishermen, and they began this awesome journey with Jesus. And Peter continued to make mistakes. But Jesus, as is his nature, he loved Peter wholeheartedly and continued to use him for his kingdom's work. And Peter is definitely considered part of Jesus' inner circle because there are quite a few incidents where only Peter, John, and James were witnesses, including the transfiguration. Jesus' close relationship with Peter proves that he longs for an intimacy with his followers. He wants us to be close to him. Normal, everyday people like Peter and like you and like me. And seeing how Jesus took an uneducated, sinful man and loved him unconditionally 
gives us the assurance that he would do the same thing for us. And then a cool thing that happened with Peter, as I hope happens with all of us, Peter grew in maturity as a follower of Jesus. Peter was a man who wanted a strong faith, but he messed up a lot. We just referenced the fact that he literally was staring into God's face, walking on water, stepped on the water at solid ground, and yet still lost faith and fell into the water because of that. And Jesus saves that very man of little faith. And then Peter even rebuked the Lord after Jesus foretold of his death. You know, he told everybody that he was going to pass away, he was going to die, he was going to another place. And basically, Peter just said, no, you're wrong, Lord. He says, never, that's never going to happen to you. And again, after he was arrested, before the rooster crowed the next morning, Peter disowned Jesus three times. Now, if Hollywood is even close to being correct, can you imagine what it would be like to look in the eyes of the Son of God and deny him three times? I don't think there's a worse place you could be. Even after Peter's denial and lack of faith, Jesus forgave him, restored him, letting Peter know that he's still in his inner circle. And then Peter became the spokesman for the apostles. This uneducated, vulgar-speaking, faith-lacking man now spoke with boldness to crowds of thousands, bringing people to Christ. And he was actually the start of what we now call Christianity. In his 30-plus years of doing work for God's kingdom, he performed a lot of miracles. Now, one, I have to admit, I did not know this happened. Did you know that Peter brought somebody back from the dead? Honestly, we're in church. Raise your hand. Did anybody here know that Peter brought somebody back from the dead? We have one, two people. See, look what you learned this morning. Extra credit for if you can tell me the name of who he raised. Her name was Tabitha. And she was raised back from the dead in a town called Joppa. It's in Acts 9, 36 through 43. Look it up. I did. So he traveled everywhere sharing Jesus' message enduring persecution, imprisonment, and ultimately his death. And he was an infant in Christ who matured into a strong believer. If I could have slide one there, Gene. In Peter 2, 2, Peter himself says, Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that's so cool. Peter recognized time spent with Jesus should produce maturity in the believer's relationship as it had with him. And I pray that we all grow in our understanding that Jesus strengthens us and that we all grow in our Christian maturity. And Jesus wants us to mature so that he can use us in his ministry, just like he did with Peter. So when Jesus speaks, we should listen. That's kind of a no-brainer. When Jesus repeats himself, I think you need to listen just a little bit closer. And Jesus said the exact same words in his few sentences to Peter that he did in the very last time that he saw Peter. In their first interaction, Jesus told Peter to follow him. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for men. Then after Jesus' resurrection, at that special breakfast they had on the shore, he restored Peter, and his last recorded words to Peter were, follow me. And I am sure Peter noticed the repetition of those words as well. So when you follow someone, you imitate them, you mimic them, and you do what they do. And Peter shadowed Jesus, and he wanted to learn to be like Christ. And of course, Jesus is perfect, so Peter was not going to get that perfect imitation because he's human. But he dropped everything in his life to try and make that happen. And so once that decision is made to follow Jesus, Jesus becomes our identity. It's who we are. And this identity trumps our titles at work, whatever position you hold in the church. We've been made in his image 
following behind our Lord Jesus Christ. And the beauty and the repetition of these words is that even when Peter failed Jesus by denying him three times, Jesus still forgave him. And since Jesus took on human form, he understands what it means to be human. He understands our weaknesses. And he knows that if we repent, we can come back to him and he's going to forgive us. And so now we have this very, very famous quote from the Bible, which when I asked, what do you think about Peter when I mentioned it? Upon this rock I will build my church. I was talking to Dave Ivey when he told me what the topic of the series was going to be, and I gave him just a brief idea. And I honestly believe that Peter's life could be the greatest story of redemption ever told. The greatest story of redemption in the Bible, in my opinion, belongs to Peter. This guy went from a filthy, vulgar fisherman to the guy that preached God's word. This guy, Peter, with a violent temper, became a fisher of men and brought thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And this guy, Peter, went from a lying, deceitful denier of Christ to the rock that Jesus chose to build his church on. And if that's not redemption, I don't know what is. And I am so grateful for my identity in Christ, and I'm just so thankful that he forgives me when I mess up, as we all should be. Our relationship with Christ should mature just as Peter's did. We should gain strength in combating the world and all the pitfalls it throws at us. And how awesome is it that when we fail, our Lord gives us enough strength to look into our eyes and tell us again, just follow me. Such a simple command. So I want to take a look at the passage and dig into the commandment uh, uh, from Christ. Slide two, please. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want to concentrate on the words, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I don't think anybody really feels the significance of what that means. Think about your occupations right now. Think about, I don't know, maybe working at NASA or something. Does anybody here work at NASA? Could you imagine, Phil? If Jesus came to NASA, this could happen, right? And he said, Phil, I want you to drop everything that you know to be your life, and I want you to follow me. How easily would you just say, I'm out? Maybe. <laughs> Think about this, though. He said, he said that to them, and they dropped everything to follow him. If I can get slide three up here. There's this guy named Joseph Stow. He's the pastor of Moody Church, and he identified our problem in the modern church when he said... We have become quite happy to call ourselves Christians with little or no thought of following. And then one of my favorite people, Paul Harvey, his quote, We have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. Those are profound words. And in seeking to understand this command, I want us to ask and answer just a few questions. First off, what does it even mean to follow Jesus? Follow me is not the invitation to be saved it's actually a call to the believer to get to work. It's not a small decision to follow Jesus. To follow Christ is to set aside your own goals, and your own pleasures, and to embrace the purpose for which God intended us. And the purpose is to know God in a personal way and to make disciples of others by teaching them Christ's love, mercy, grace, and all of his commands. All those who truly follow Christ must exchange their affections and goals and priorities for his when Jesus called Peter, Peter's goal in life was to be the best fisherman he could be. And in asking Peter to forsake that goal, he, he commanded Peter to follow him, and he would make him fishers of men's souls. Jesus did not command his disciples to become fishers of men. He actually said that he would make them 
fishers of men. And he can do the same for us. Next question, how does fishing for men relate to following Christ? The common image of a fisherman today would be, uh, I'm just throwing it out there for those of you that don't fish and like to make fun of fishermen because it hasn't changed from back in Peter's day to now, would be a, uh, a guy or a girl uh, with a fishing pole in their hand, casting a lure into a lake or a river, probably wearing a funny hat, a flannel shirt, maybe some chest waders. If anybody was going to draw a fisherman, that's the way we see them, right? So much so that when I was a kid, my grandfather, who I fished with a lot, he had a plaque in his house, and it said the definition of a fisherman was a jerk on one end of the pole waiting for a jerk on the other end of the pole. And so not a lot of respect for fishermen, which makes it even crazier that that's the reference that God and Jesus uses to talk about fishing for men. And I think we could all agree that the more we do something, the better we get at it. It's called experience. And it was the same for the fishermen of the Bible on the day that Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Because by their experience, these, experience, these fishermen found that the best fishing took place at night. Another question. Do you guys realize in that story when you visualized casting the nets, did you see it during the daytime or did you see it at night? I'm going to bet most of you saw it during the daytime. It's not the way it is. We know that to be true that they fished at night because in Luke 5, 5, when Jesus told Peter to cast his nets on the other side of the boat, what did Peter say? Peter said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And how did they fish at night is the next question. If you didn't know they fished at night, you got to think this is way back in the day. They didn't have all these fancy flashlights and stuff, but how did they fish? They actually had light. We're going to assume maybe it was oil, maybe it was candles, but they had light, and that's how they fished. And why was it an effective technique? Because fish are drawn to light. So how do we compare fishing to reaching people for Jesus? Maybe you catch on to that common word here. Jesus uses the same effective method of light to draw people to him because in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but had the light of life. Just as the fish were attracted to the fisherman's light, God wants people to be drawn to his light shining through his people, and those people are you and me. The light of every believer is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And Paul stated in his second letter to the Corinthians, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which means that we are not the light, but we are a reflection of God's light. So what does it require to follow Jesus? What does it take? It's a call that requires a detachment from the world and all of its empty promises. Peter and Andrew left their nets which we can assume means they left their entire uh, livelihood to follow Jesus. James and John left their father, suggesting that following Christ takes precedence over maintaining a correspondence with your family. And this requirement for following Jesus is not the same for everyone. For some, it means leaving their occupation to follow him. Others, it does mean leaving their family connections. But for everyone, it's the willingness to exchange their affections, their goals, and their priorities for those of Jesus Christ. See? Listen carefully to my next statement. The worst thing in life is not that we fail. Seems like a simple thing. Think about it. The worst thing in life is not that we fail. It's life. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. We are going to fail. Many times, unfortunately. The greatest failures occur when we succeed in areas that are not God's will and that keep us from 
pursuing what God's plan is for our lives. The worst thing in life is not failing, but succeeding in a worldly pursuit, having left Christ completely out of our lives. Quick quiz time. I started this sermon with three words. What were they? One person listened. I love life. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you three more words, and those are not as important as the next three that I'm going to give you. What is the single most important thing we can do as a Christian? That's the question. The question that will help you find that answer is this one. When we learn that someone is dying, what should be the single most important question on our minds? It's three words. What are they? Are they saved? Does this person know Jesus Christ? When someone is dying... Nothing else really matters, does it? Our job as Christians is to bring people to Jesus Christ and let them know the love of Jesus Christ. There have been many times in the life of every Christian when he or she recognizes that the greatest thing they can do with their life is to bring somebody else to Christ. And maybe it's today that God wants you to do that again. Maybe it's somebody that you've given up on. But that is our job as Christians, to bring people to Christ. Jesus wants you to be someone whose heart is moved to reach out to the lost people that are around you. But in order to accomplish this goal in life, you must be willing to do a few things. First off, lay aside your personal ambitions and plans to fully follow Christ. Simple words, put Christ first. Live your life to better reflect the light of Christ to those around you. That can be difficult. Look for and take opportunities to share with others what Jesus has done for you, and if you're like me, you should have a whole boatload of stuff to share with people. Now, the band is going to come up, I believe, and do a, a final song, if I'm right, Marcus, right? Look how fast that time went. So uh, what I want you to do is focus and reflect on something that I said. I'd like you to reflect on what Jesus said when he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Are you willing to do that? Is there a greater calling in life than to bring another to Christ? I say no. The world tells us to follow it, and all the material things it has to offer, but the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, is calling us to follow him. And the question I have for you all is who are you going to listen to? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, forgive our lack of, of uh, focus on our most important calling. Forgive us for um, not sharing our faith and uh, for being silent about all the awesome things that, uh, that you're doing in all of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to, to speak up and tell others of the amazing ways you've delivered us and that you've blessed us and that you've carried us through some of our toughest times. I pray that you help us to use our words and actions to bring glory to you. Uh, and give us a nudge, Father, when, when we need to speak up and use our testimonies, our life experiences to bring others out of that darkness and into your light and into your life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.